most familiar faces here tonight, but uh, we're in Isaiah 64. We're in the, in the last few chapters of Isaiah. Um, I can't remember how many years ago it was we, uh, uh, we stopped doing Wednesday night services. And when we stopped, we were about five chapters into Isaiah. And uh, so when we started back up, there were a couple folks that were like, you have to finish Isaiah. And I was like, all right. So we, we started that up. So it's been a year and I don't know how many months or weeks, but uh, we're in the home stretch. But uh, if if you're just joining us or if you've not been with us through the whole study, where we're at, Isaiah is the, it's the first book in the section of the Old Testament that we call the Prophets. Uh, and his, his ministry, he was, uh, he was the Lord's prophet for a long time, and uh, his ministry overlaps Hosea and Micah. Right? So he, he covers quite a, a span of time. He prophesied during the reigns of four different kings um, of the southern kingdom. He's, he's a prophet during the time when Israel was split into two different kingdoms. There's the northern and the southern kingdom. And so he's in the southern kingdom of Judah. And so he deals almost almost exclusively in dual fulfillment prophecy. And by that I mean uh, when he gives a prophecy, it had a, a short-term uh, way that it was fulfilled along with a long-term way that it was fulfilled. Uh, and so he, he deals almost exclusively in that sort of prophecy, which makes it uh, interesting to say the least. And he's the prophet that has the clearest picture of the Messiah, of Jesus. Uh, the New Testament quotes Isaiah more than any other prophet because of that. Uh, John the Baptist started his ministry quoting from Isaiah. Jesus preached his first sermon at Nazareth from Isaiah. Uh, and so this book, uh, it's, it's pretty near and dear to my heart. It's, uh, it's sort of the Bible in ministry. There's 66 chapters, there are 66 books in the Bible. Uh, the first, more than half of the book is all about judgment and, and you know, all the stuff that the Old Testament is known for. And the, and the last part is more about comfort and reassuring God's people that God is still going to make things right. Which is what, you know, we're still looking forward to. The problem is we get frustrated waiting for God to make things right. People in the Old Testament got really frustrated with that. The people during Isaiah's time, uh, Isaiah's life especially, were frustrated by that. On into the time when uh, when Jesus was first born, the people of Israel at that time are really frustrated. They're under Roman rule, and, and things aren't going the way they thought they should. There's a guy named William Barclay. He said that he said this. He said that uh, speaking of that period in history, the people were fascinated and depressed and frustrated by what they regarded as the infinite distance and the utter unknowability of God. Right? They, they have God's Word, but they feel like God is distant. They're wondering when He's going to show up and do all the things He says He's going to do. And it just kind of got me thinking when I read that earlier this week that you ever wish that God would just 
you know, rip the sky open and come down and, you know, just set everything right. But he would just show up and and show off, you know. When when things are just going completely wrong, you're like, man, where God just show up and show them his fault. And by that I mean them, not me, because I don't, you know, I want I want grace when it comes to me, but I want judgment when it comes to them. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, right? Isaiah was waiting on God. His, uh, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, were waiting on God to to do what He's going to do. And we, we learned a little bit about that last week. I felt so bad there was a, a gal here for the first time, and, and that week was. Uh, you know, the birds eating dead bodies and all that stuff. We were talking about judgment. And I'm like, well, it's not all that, I promise. It's, a, it's the full counsel of God. Uh, so it's all good. Anyway, we're going to get into chapter 64 tonight and then uh, see what happens. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this evening for giving us the chance to, uh, to open your word and, and just see how, you, how your plan has, has played out through the centuries. Isaiah is is looking forward to the things that we can look back at uh, and, and see how some of that stuff was fulfilled. And yet some of the things are, are yet to come. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you help us to, to get clear uh, understanding, discernment of, of what it is that you have us learn from your words. We pray for your blessing on the message and on your people. Amen. Isaiah 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. This is Isaiah is praying. Remember last week we, we saw in chapter 63, we saw the vision of, of Jesus you know, pouring out his wrath during the last, uh, you know, last days of tribulation. And, and Isaiah is crying out. He's praying for that stuff to happen. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens. You would just rip the sky open and come down. And that the mountains might quake at your presence. In Exodus 19, it describes what happens when the presence of God descended upon a mountain. In Mount Sinai. And there was, it says that there was smoke, and there was fire, uh, and the whole mountain quaked. Elsewhere in the Psalms, it talks about how the mountains would melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. And so Isaiah, he's, he's longing for God's presence, right? More than anything, he says, I, uh, you know, I want you to be closer to me. I want to, you know, be able to see you and touch you and all of that. He's longing for God's presence. Are you? Are you longing for that? Has your Christian experience become kind of mundane and routine? That happens to the best of us. But I guess what I'm getting at is, is there any sense of urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel? Right? Like if we really believe that what the Bible says, we really believe that there is a hell and that time is short and people need Jesus, are we living that way? Is there any sense of urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel? And I lose sight of that just like anybody else does. Hebrews 11, uh, I think it's verse 6, says that he is 
that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Right? And so Moses, he saw the presence of the Lord descend upon Mount Sinai. And if you are familiar with that story back in Exodus, um, you know that he sees this happen and he wants more. Even though he saw that, he's, he's closer to God really than anybody had been. And he says, I want more. Lord, show me your glory. He, he wanted, the closer he got, the more of God he wanted. David said, you know, that his soul uh, thirsted for the living God. And so Isaiah is, is crying out that sort of thing. Like, God, I want more of you. Like he's full of, if anybody knows God and, and, and can sense his presence, it's got to be one of his prophets, right? One of the people that God is literally speaking to and through. And Isaiah says, yeah, I want more. I want more of you. And he's essentially praying, even though he's using different words, he's essentially praying the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? He says, God, rend the heavens, come down, because I want your will to be done here. We're far from you, uh, come draw us near. But I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but now I need to remember that. That would be a cool song lyric. Anyway, verse 2, he says, As fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. There's a little bit of, uh, I don't know, I can, I, can kinda, I, I put myself in Isaiah's shoes, and there's a little bit of that selfish, selfishness in this prayer, right? He doesn't just want to be near to God. He's like, make your adversaries tremble. You know, the bad give the bad guys what's coming to them, right? You know, the, uh, David prayed those prayers sometimes, right? Like, uh, you know, Lord, just pour down your wrath on my enemies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Jesus kind of he set us straight. He said, no, you need to actually pray for your enemies too and love them. Uh, that's so uh, that's so hard one to wrestle with. He says, you know, make your name known to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. Verse 3, when you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. So he's remembering when God has, has done this before, but he's also praying, God, do this again. Come down. Literally, physically come down to earth. And his prayer uh, was fulfilled partially, at least one time that we know of. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says that we uh, we saw his glory or we beheld his glory. And, and the word there is, is theotomai. It's, it's where we get theater. It's, they spent time with Jesus and they examined him closely and they, and they saw that he was the only begotten full of good. Jesus 
would tell people, he says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? That was that was part of what Jesus did when he came to earth, is that he gave us a way to see God. The Bible tells us that the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend. Couldn't understand. So now we're we're very much like Isaiah, right? We're we're Isaiah was looking forward, saying God come down, and now we're looking forward, saying Jesus come back, right? We're in the heavens and come down again. And so we all have this question, I think, that um, that Isaiah had, and that people, anybody who's ever lived has had that I've had is that, you know, what is God going to do in the future? Right? It, can I trust Him with what's ahead? I know He's done amazing things before, but is He going to show up? Is He going to do amazing things again or, or in my life? Or? Romans 10, verse 17 says this, uh, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Right? Our ability to trust God, trust the Lord, it should grow as we spend more time in God's word. Right? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing His word more and more. Not just hearing sermons, but you know, hearing it when I read it, hearing it spoken because I'm speaking to other people who who are speaking God's word. I'm being surrounded, inundated, being filled with His word. And so when we have those thoughts of, God, can God take care of me? Well, He did it before, He'll, and so there's no reason to think He won't do it again. Right? And I, I know that He did it before because I know His word, and I know that He, he, he delivered the people out of Egypt. He delivered... Uh, when he, you know, part of the Red Sea, he delivered all these different times. Every time he said he would do a thing, he did it. And so, why wouldn't he do it again? There's an old song, um, is it "Standing on the Promises of Christ Our King." And that's what faith is, right? It's, it's seeing what he's done before, and then I can lean on that and trust that that the promises he's made about what he's going to do will come through because he promised this, he delivered, so why he'll deliver on that too. I know I'm kind of beating that, but I, this Romans 10, verse 17 again. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing his word more and more. And more. We used to have a sign back in the sound booth um, from Romans 10, 14, which is, uh, how will they believe in him who they've not heard? Uh, just to remind the guys that what they do back there is important. You know, uh, you have to be able to hear to, to believe. Uh, Isaiah 64, verse 4, we'll go on. Says, uh, for from days of old, they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. 
I didn't like that verse when I, when I first read it. Yeah, he acts on behalf of the ones who wait for him. I don't like to wait. Uh, men, most men, I think, are, are kind of like me. We would rather work than wait. Right? Uh, we're attracted to a sort of legalism, right? We, we want to be able to check the boxes on the list and, you know, know that we did all the things. Right? If, if there's a problem, uh, yo, I'll solve it, right? If, uh, if there's a problem, I'm going to figure it out. Uh, we like to check the boxes and, and, you know, finish the list. And, and that's what holiness is to most guys, right? You, you do all the things and that means, means you're holy. Uh, and but God says, you know, he, he works on behalf of the one who waits for him. Isaiah said earlier that those who wait on the Lord uh, will renew their strength. Near as I can tell, waiting on the Lord, it's not just, um, you know, it's not just sitting on your hands doing nothing. But it's resisting the urge to try to work your way out of the situation and choosing to trust God. I still haven't got the hang of that. But I'm trying. Right? It's resisting the urge to just try to solve the thing on your own power right? and of your own accord. And trusting God to be God. And sometimes the dangerous thing is sometimes we're actually able to pull it off. Right. Um, sometimes you're actually able to pull off your own deliverance. Right? You get into some trouble, and you figure out a way, you work really hard, and you get out of it. Or you get through it. And that tricks us into thinking that it will always work. Uh, that we can depend on our own strength. That everything I have is because I worked really hard and whatever, you know. God says, no, I'm, I work the most or the best in the life of the guy who says, Lord, I, I trust you. I, I could maybe lie my way out of this, but instead I'm going to trust you. I'm going to keep praying and wait on you. Verse 5, it says, you meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways, Behold, you were angry, for we sinned, and we continued in them for a long time. Shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. It's funny. Uh, we had a meeting the other day, and we were talking about Wednesday, you know, it should be a midweek pick-me-up, you know, to encourage you. And I'm like, yeah, we're in a rough portion of Scripture for that. Uh, uh, Isaiah says, we are all terrible, basically, is what he's saying here. He says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. That word filthy, uh, your Bible may say filthy rag. Um, 
the translators are trying their best to not be gross when they translate this. Uh, but it, it literally it means you know, menstruation rash. Um, but here's what's mind blowing. Because all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our what kind of deeds? All of our righteous deeds are like menstruation. Remember, uh, Pastor Daniel, our missionary over in India, he was here preaching on a Sunday one day in this scripture, and he says, Our deeds are like ten boons. That's all I can think of when I read this passage. But yeah, no, it's not our sin is just this gross thing, right? It's our righteous deeds, he says. Things that look righteous. Things that we did out of self rather than the spirit. Right? You can do good things for the wrong reason. I would venture to say a, a lot of good things, maybe most good things, are done with wrong motives. How often do we see people with, you know, the big check stick in the hand, you know, giving, give me recognition for the thing that I just did? And Jesus says, no, when you, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, be private, you know. You get your reward and... You, the only reward you get is that little bit of recognition when you do it to be recognized. He says our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. In other words, Isaiah is saying, look, even when we try to do the right thing, our hearts are still messed up and, and it's not, we never get it completely pure and completely right. And if our righteousness is that bad, what, what must our unrighteousness be like? Charles Spurgeon uh, had this to say about this passage. There is sin in our prayers, and they need to be prayed over again. There is filth in the very tears that we shed and penitence. There is sin in our very holiness. There is unbelief in our faith. There is hatred in our very love. There is the slime of the serpent upon the fairest flowers of our garden. Uplifting and encouraging. <laughs> Paul had this uh, had this in mind in a couple of the letters that he wrote. And remember I, uh, we talked about this. Paul is sort of the New Testament Isaiah or Isaiah is the Old Testament Paul whichever way you want to look at it. But in Philippians 3 especially I think you see it um, I think this is from the New Living, if I would put it up there. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 1, he says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for these, uh, those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. That was one of the 
the things that Paul was dealing with in the early church is people saying, oh, if you really want to be righteous, you need to follow the law. You know, you need to be a Jew first and then be a Christian. And one of those things included circumcision. Verse 3 says, uh, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. And we put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Because when it comes to being what looks righteous, I was as good at it as anybody. Verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless. Because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness. Through obeying the law, rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. With all the things that look right on the outside, I've come to realize none of them matter as much as knowing Revelation 19 uh, describes the church. We talked uh, about that passage a little bit last week, but it describes how we, the the saints, the church, uh, Christians, are going to be clothed in fine white linen, right? And that it's the righteous acts of the saints, it says. And it's, it's just so cool that our filthy rags are covered by the righteousness of Jesus. I think a lot of people have it kind of twisted, right? There's no heavenly scales where, like, the good work and the bad work, you know, we all have that kind of picture, right? And if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you either let you through the gates or whatever. Uh, none of that is, is biblical. None of that is how God works. Uh, there are good works that God has laid out before you. Paul tells us in Ephesians, for you to walk in, right? Things that he designed you perfectly for. Um, And you can choose to do them or not. But the most important thing is still knowing Christ. Yes, you should should be good. Good works matter, uh, but not when it comes to our, you know, not when it comes to our uh, heavenly uh, 
destination. Basically, we don't work to earn His love. We work because we're loved. That's the idea. I've got a friend who uh, is very... um, His idea of the gospel is very work-oriented. You have to do all the things to make sure you're still saved at the end of the day. And and we've talked about it multiple times, and and it it almost always ends the same way. I always say, well, you you serve him out of fear, and I'll serve him out of appreciation, and and we'll see how he sorts it out. Um, But we're not supposed to work uh, to earn his love. We don't have to earn his love. Uh, We do it because he first loved us. Anyway, all right, I'm off track. Isaiah 64, verse 7. It says, There is no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have delivered us into the power of our iniquity. It says, There's no one who calls on your name. Paul expounds on that again in Romans, where he says, There is none righteous, there is none who seeks after God. Uh, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then he goes on here, Romans 3, verse 24. He says, Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and, and including them in what he would do in this, in this present time. God did, did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Isaiah 64, we'll go back to verse 7 again. It says, There is no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. Because you have hidden your face, you've, right? You're looking away. You're, it feels like you're ignoring us, is what Isaiah said. It's funny, on Sunday we sang that song, The Blessing, right? and it, uh, part of that blessing is, Lord, God, make your face shine upon us. Right? That's one of the, the blessings you would speak over people. You know, that God, you know, look upon us and, you know, let your presence, like, you know that look when you were little, when you knew you made mom or dad proud or whatever? That's the look that that song is talking about. And now Isaiah, he's feeling the opposite of that. He says, I feel like you're looking away from us, like you're embarrassed or ashamed. Verse 8, he says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the our potter. And all of us are the work of your hands. Well, that's an important realization right, that we need to come to, that we are clay in the hands of the potter. Right before church, though, we had a, a little incident with one of our kids. So, well, I'll rat him out. He's not watching the live stream. Oren was giving us a hard time about something. We told him to do the thing, whatever it was. And, and he says, but I don't, I don't know why. Uh, I was like, the why is because what? Because I said so, right? 
And all the parents are like, yeah, we hated that when we were kids, and as parents, you get why people say it, right? But that's the realization, right, as adults we have to come to is, yes, we can ask those questions why, but God ultimately is looking for us to go, you're the potter, I'm the clay. If you say it, it must be what's best. that what goes on in my life is not just good luck or bad karma, but I'm in the hands of the Father. Verse 9 says, Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are your people. He's, he's trying to remind God that you know, it feels like you're looking away from us, but remember, we're your kids. We belong to you. Don't remember our iniquity forever. Right? He, he's not denying that they've sinned. He knows full well they have. You know, the beautiful thing is that when we trust Jesus, like Paul was describing in Romans, when we trust him, Micah 7 says that he casts our, our sins into the depths of the sea. Uh, Psalm 103 says that uh, our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. In Jeremiah 31 Verse 34 says that he forgives our iniquity and will remember it no more. Verse 10, so your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem is a, is, uh, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, has been burned by fire, and all our precious things have become a ruin. So he, he's painting this picture of, you know, Jerusalem is in shambles and the temple is burned down. The thing is, when Isaiah wrote this, that had not happened. He's prophesying. He's seeing something that happens in the future. The temple was still standing, but he says here, our temple has been desecrated. Verse 12, will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? Isaiah 65 you get the Lord's answer. And we'll talk about that next week. God answers this prayer. Uh, for now, uh, we're running long, so let me just pray for us. God, you know our hearts. You know our shortcomings. Uh, I believe in you. And that makes me one of your people. Well, we need you. We're waiting as Isaiah was, we are waiting for you to rend the heavens. And we just pray that you would soften our hearts and help us to see that we are the clay and you are the potter. Help us to trust. Help us to trust that we are in your hands. We know it's true, but we forget it. God, help us to trust you now. And as Isaiah cried out, we're crying out for now. In the heaven, come down. So you come and come to us. Alright, ready?